Welcome to the Seattle Sports Union podcast. I am your host, Brian the Soul Man Solak. I'm joined by Matt the Dirty Duck Page. Our special guest this week is Mike Salk of 710 Seattle Sports. Welcome, Mike. Hey, how are we doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we do some rapid fire questions, will you give it, tell our listeners, uh, give us a little bio about your background? Jeez, how how long is the podcast? <laughs> you want my old boss used to say it was a test for him. He used to ask people to give them give them a one minute bio, and uh, part of it was he was interested, and part of it is he wanted to find out if people could actually keep it to a minute. Um, so, oh, yeah. which is ironic because the way he talked, it would take him a full minute to spit out three words. So I don't know what he was doing, but we, uh, you know, I was I grew up in Boston, um, big sports fan, obviously. Went to school in California, Pomona College, and thought that I was going to get into politics and lobbying, which I did after college, and then just didn't like it. Decided uh, I really wanted to do radio and uh, moved back home, lived with my parents for a little bit while I was parking cars and, you know, whatever odd jobs I could, selling cell phones in order to break into the business and got an internship and turned an internship into a $10 an hour job doing Sports Center updates for a fledgling ESPN station that had about four listeners total um, and then turn that into some national jobs and turn that into uh, this job here in Seattle, working with Brock, um, which has been great. Um, left for an ill-fated year back in Boston and then uh, came back after a year to be both the program director of the station and, and continue on as a host with Brock. Left that after a while just to do uh, management stuff and then left that to get back on the air. So it's been sort of a twisted journey of a of basically the same couple of things but like rotating between them okay sounds like it sounds and, like and i got a wife and two kids and a dog so that i guess that completes <laughs> oh oh you know the the unimportant stuff at the end got i it. mean if you don't add that in then like it really seems like you don't care about it i really don't i don't want to be that guy i definitely care about you know my life outside of work <laughs> understood uh you mentioned 2009 you came out here to help start 710 uh, yeah was it espn is that how it first started yeah. out yeah it was 710 espn seattle at the time yeah uh were, were there any concerns when he came out here with with i guess cairo before they turned 710 espn having that espn brand branding or oh heck no i mean i was already working at espn station so no no concern at all i mean you get an opportunity to work for you know the four biggest letters in sports uh you take that sports media anyway i mean you you, you take that Anytime. And it, it was, it was great. I, I was connected through the national stuff anyway, and it worked out well that I was able to um, keep doing national hosting while I was hosting locally with Brock. I mean, during that time from like 09 to maybe 12 or 13, I was hosting it. I did Saturday nights for ESPN radio. I filled in for Doug Gottlieb a lot and Doug was never doing a show because either he was doing college basketball games or he was the primary fill in for Mike and Mike or for Colin Cowherd. I think in 2012, I did one third of Doug's shows. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, he used to call in sometimes as a guest and be like, hey, it's Doug Gottlieb here on the Mike Salt <laughs> Show. I mean, like, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was a great experience. I'd do three hours with Brock, take an hour break of prep and jump right back on and do three hours by myself of Doug's show. It was, it was, I loved it. I was so happy doing it. Mm, that's awesome. So I, what, what led to the, uh, the jump to Boston? For a short period. Well, I was from there and, um, you know, they WEEI, which was sort of the the first station in Boston doing sports radio that I had listened to, like most people 
growing up, um, you know, they called and, and they were making some changes and wanted me to come in. I thought it was going to be for a midday job, which I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. And then it turned out to be afternoon drive replacing Glenn Ordway, who was a legend of sports radio. I mean, he's one of one of the originals almost, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, as it turns out, you know, it's a job you can't really say no to. Probably should have. And the idea of replacing a legend like that is just, you know, nearly impossible to do. So um, it didn't go great. And uh, I was really, really happy when I was able to come back to Seattle. Okay. Um, you mentioned working with Brock Heward, Brock, Brock and Salk for years. We, we've all listened to it. I mean, what, what is your partner? How, what in your partnership made it work? I mean, how did you guys <laughs> get along so well? I mean, it was great material every day of the week. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny too, because at the beginning it wasn't like that. Oh. Um, you know, I, I got the job, I came out, I had, I hadn't had, it's a long story, but I, I was on my honeymoon in Nicaragua. Our flight was canceled. I barely made it to Seattle for my interview. I literally got in at like one in the morning, got to the hotel by two, was up at six or five to meet somebody for coffee. And then a day of, you know, essentially doing mock shows. And I didn't know anything about Seattle. I'd never been here before in my life. Uh, I called a couple friends. I called Keith Law and Albert Breer and was like, hey, can you tell me something about the Mariners? Can you tell me something about the Seahawks? I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and so they gave me just like a little bit of info to go on, which was great. And um, and then Brock and I just kind of clicked. We did this funny bit where he was telling me about, you know, being in, C- you know, growing up in Puyallup and the fair and the pig races. And of course, I just started making fun of the pig races. And I don't know, that was sort of the thing that seemed to get me the job. They just kind of liked the way we kind of easily laughed with each other and the way I kind of made fun of Brock a little bit, even though I didn't know him. And so that was sort of how we hooked up. And then the, the first year was terrible. I mean, the ratings were awful. We were getting really mad at each other. I mean, we're polar opposites in every way, um, politically, religion, you know, height. I mean, like you name it, like life experience. <laughs> it was just all different. And we, and we really, at times, you know, Brock also had never done it before. He was not that far off from playing really was afraid. I think he would admit to say much of anything that would be controversial or critical. Even, you know, there was a day and, and we sort of now become sort of a, like almost a trope and a famous story, but it's true. He literally nodded in answer to a question. It's like, Dude, we're on the radio. <laughs> you can't nod. Like, you got to say something. And so, you know, the problem I have is the more I felt like the show was boring, the more I felt like I needed to say something super controversial. Again, I grew up in Boston with Boston Sports Radio. And so every time anything dragged, I'd be like, Bench Ken Griffey Jr. And like, you know. <laughs> I wasn't necessarily wrong, but it wasn't like the way for a new uh, transplant to endear themselves to Seattle fans. And so it, it really took us over a year before we kind of figured out our rhythm, what it, why we liked each other, respected each other, how we could work together. And then, you know, what can I tell you? Just at some point, it just kind of clicked. And, you know, when I say Brock is, you know, I feel as close to Brock as anyone outside of my family. I mean, don't make me cry here on the podcast, but it's true. I mean, when I when when he and I talk uh, about that stuff, it, it's very real. I, and I'm I know there are a lot of radio partnerships around the country where either the two people don't like each other 
or they're fine with each other. But, you know, as mm. soon as the show ends, they go their separate ways. I think that was the Mike and Mike story for a long time. It's not that they disliked each other, but they weren't close. And, you know, they would just sort of, you know, split up at the end of the show. And it was a business partnership and nothing else. I'm not a good enough actor for that. I'm not capable of that. I, I, you know, I need to have that feeling like I'm talking to my good friends. And um, that's sort of what it, what it became. Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what talking to my good friends is like, uh, you know, this, this podcast I'm surrounded by jerks. So, <laughs> At least you're honest. That, <laughs> um, and now um, you went away and then you came back. Did you continue on? Uh, refresh my memory. Did you continue on to the Brock and Sock show for a while or? We did. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, uh, when I came back, it was to be both with Brock and to run the station as a program director, run programming for the station. Mm-hmm. And we did that from 2014 through 2020, 19, whatever it was, a couple of years ago. Um, when, you know, Brock was kind of doing more and more, uh, college football, uh, you know, his play by play part of what he does for Fox. And I was moving up into a, a, a bigger management role at the time to do the programming for not just 710, but for Cairo radio and KTTH. And so, you know, all of that kind of led to us saying, you know, I don't think we can keep doing this. So we turned the, the week, the daily show into a weekly podcast at that point. And, um, and I got off the radio on a daily basis, but a couple of years into doing that, I don't know. It just wasn't for me. You know, I just, I didn't want to, I missed it. I didn't want to do management every day. And um, ultimately uh, decided to get out of that part of it and get back on the air full time doing this new show. You look more relaxed getting out of management. <laughs> That's for sure, man. <laughs> I mean, managing people's hard. There's no doubt. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and I got to manage some really great talented people. But, you know, it's a lot of personalities, it's a lot of challenge, you know, bringing Cairo and KTTH into the mix brought modern politics, which is not like, I don't know if you follow it. It's not like the most um, uh, calm. friendly. Yeah, calm, <laughs> friendly. <laughs> Would you say relaxed? Yeah, 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 not relaxing doing modern political discourse. Stress. Yeah. So, you know, you put all that together and I, I just, you know, it wasn't what I wanted to do. At the end of the day, this is what I love doing is talking about sports on the radio every morning. Uh, you brought up your podcast. I listened to this week. You guys talked about the Seattle Mariners, um, which brings me to my next question. Jared Kellenick was sent down to Tacoma yesterday. Was this a good move or did the Mariners ruin this kid? Oh, wow. We go right from my personal history oh, right wow. into Kellenick. I like <laughs> yeah. it. It's an abrupt left turn. Uh, <laughs> well, I got yelled at heavily by Abraham yesterday because of Kellenick. Well, apparently, I think it's the right. Apparently, I'm, I'm evil because I support Jerry DePoto's decision. Oh, no, I think this this wasn't even a decision. I mean, Jared made this decision, you know what I mean, with his play. Yeah. I mean, there was no real other option other than to send him down. You can't let a kid with his personality and his ability, you can't let him flounder in the big leagues at age 22 like that. It's just not fair over time. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, whether you like or don't like Jerry DePoto, this to me, there's no op- there's no other option here. Yeah, Jerry Kellnick had to go down to AAA and just go get it figured out. The difference between AAA and the majors right now is the wider gulf than it's ever been. He will go down in all likelihood, just destroy AAA pitching for the next few months. And that's okay. And they can let him keep doing it for a while. He needs to get his confidence back. He's a talented guy. His talent hasn't gone away, but he's got to trust himself. He's got to get that brash confidence back. 
Um, and he got, in, he got in his head, really. He, he I think so. He I mean, to he's, get out of it. Yeah, I mean, he he really the kid wants it, and, and to be around him is to feel that level of personality. Excuse me, that level of personality and how much he wants to be great. Um, but baseball is not like football. You can't just work your way into being great. You got it's a mental element of it. There's a level of you just got to relax. And and I think he'll get it. I mean, you know, I don't know that he might not. It's obviously a possibility. Great players don't make it all the time, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Angels, probably the team that I look at that's had so many of these really top prospects that were supposed to change the game. And it's like one after another. What's the third baseman they had for years that was the top of the uh, prospect list? I'm blanking on his name right now. But, um, you know, he, he was supposed to be the biggest can't miss of all time. And sometimes those guys still miss. But you owe it to him to do everything you can, I think, to try to, you know, l- allow him to get that time in the minors. He came up a little early. He missed some of his time due to the COVID you know, restrictions. And so let him go get his confidence back. And, and hopefully when he comes back, he's the guy he was last September because that player is on his way to being, you know, a really, really, really good player for America. Well said. Uh, th- Can I get yelled at for that though? No. I, I want to get yelled at. What happened? <laughs> Abraham can't talk right now. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Abraham, you can put it in good. the chat that you can it's yell good. at me over chat. You can yeah. use all caps if you want. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, what what are your thoughts on Julio Rodriguez? I mean, I listened to you on the radio, but tell, tell us your thoughts on Julio. Is he here this day? I mean, again, that's up to him, right? It's up to how he does and how he performs. But it, if there's anything about Julio that's not wonderful, I've yet to find it, right? I mean, yeah. like everything about him essentially has been amazing, mm-hmm. right? He he His personality, gosh, I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, this is my first year back at spring training in a few years. Being around that kid, you can't help but smile. And I'm not a natural smiler, right? Like I, you know, I'm I can be kind of a, you know, a, a negative guy at times. He wipes that right off of you. I mean, he just is, and it's real. It feels real anyway. I mean, I, I don't detect even a hint of phoniness with him. It just feels very naturally who he is. He's worked his butt off to learn the language and his ability to communicate. Uh, in a language that is not his own, is, or not his first, is per, almost perfect. I mean, he not only understands and can speak it well, but understands and can speak the idioms and sayings. And and that and, and that just, you know, it's a breath of fresh air. Talking to a guy like Manny Acta, who is their bench coach, who, who is obviously bilingual. And Manny says, you know, that's a big deal to him. That tells him that a guy really wants to make it and is really interested in in being the complete player rather than sort of just hanging out in his corner of the clubhouse. Uh, And then when you see the play in the field, my God, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys about it. He's fast. He plays better center field than everybody and anybody thought he would his, his hitting after the first couple of weeks of kind of getting used to major league pitching as he's become one of the better hitters on the team. The only thing that hasn't happened yet is the power. And I think some of that is by design kind of waiting to figure out and kind of understand major league pitching before picking his spots and getting to know when he can turn the power on. He's hitting the ball hard. He's getting on base. The strikeouts have kind of dropped to a normal level. If there's anything wrong with him, I haven't found Do you? I think the power will come in time, too. I agree. Yeah. Do you think the Mariners are going to sign him to a Wander Franco-type contract? I think they would. I think they would do that tomorrow if they could. Yeah, I mean, I, 
you know, I know there's a lot of conversation about the Mariners and, and payroll obviously becomes for whatever reason they get tagged with the payroll debate, which is funny because there have been times where they've really outspent what they probably even should have. I mean, they've, their payroll has gone up and down. We've seen them in the top 10. We've seen them, you know, closer to, to, to the bottom, not quite the bottom 10, but in that region. Um, I think what they would like to do is sign some of these guys long-term. Um, you know, they reached out with Kelnick. It didn't work at the moment. Maybe that's a good thing. They got it done with JP Crawford. They got it done with Evan White. Maybe that wasn't a good thing, but they're willing to take those lumps. I think they would rather be wrong on Evan White than on, you know, a, a giant free agent who's 32 years old, who you're buying out their, their late, you know, thirties yeah. years. They would much rather spend the extra money on a guy who's going to be in his prime and Evan white and get it wrong than have a Robbie Cano situation on their hands. Like the Mets did that to me is much more <laughs> limiting. So is it the right way to do it? I don't know that there's such thing, but I do think that it's a, I do think that it's a, a coherent strategy that I could defend and then we'll find out whether or not it works and whether or not they got the right guys. Okay. By the way, you, you have Jason Churchill on from prospect insider every so often. And I think great segment you guys have together. So is that going to continue every week or. I don't know what every, I mean, we don't have like a regular thing, but Jason's an old friend. I mean, he and I have gotten to know, we got to know each other right off the bat, like in 2009, 2010, when I moved here, um, I've always thought highly of his, you know, baseball analysis, the way he views the game. Um, he's got a scout's eye, which certainly I don't have. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I love talking to Jason. I like talking to anybody who, who is, you know, engaged and, and interested in the game and, and, you know, kind of attacks it with a level of insight and knowledge. And, and I would definitely put Jason in that category. Plus he's just a good dude. Fun to talk to. Yes, he is. Um, I have to ask, I, do you miss Kyle Seeger? <laughs> you made in regards to last month. You were commenting your excitement for you, Eugenio Suarez, and you mentioned Kyle Seeger. I won't get into it, but I was yeah. Curious. Well, I blew, I blew that one, huh? That one, <laughs> that one went over asking. like a Led Zeppelin. <laughs> uh, let's see. Look, I mean, the Seeger story has been kind of told, and Brock came on. I hope what the next day or two and kind of explained the story and. Yeah. You know, it's not even really my story. It's really Brock's story, the Kyle Seeger thing. And, you know, Brock had said to him that, that, or said on the air that after Kyle signed his big deal, essentially to whom much is given, much is expected. And just that he should expect a little bit more, I don't know if criticism is the word, but a little bit more pressure to, to perform. And Kyle didn't like it. And, and he and Brock kind of got into it, you know, off the air and, there were some stories that went through and Brock tried to talk to him about it. And that didn't really go well. Kyle didn't, Kyle didn't really want to hear it. And, you know, ultimately for better, for worse, I'm a guy that, that wants to defend my friends. And so if you're an enemy of my friend, you're an enemy of mine, I guess is how I've always seen the world. And I probably said something I shouldn't have. Right. I mean, I don't, I'm not looking to actually watch anybody burn. That's a really stupid phrase. I didn't realize I'd said it to be perfectly honest with you. I heard it later. I was like, Oh God, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, <laughs> you know, that's not something I, I should have said and I regret saying it. So, you know, I don't need to be a fan of Kyle Seegers. I think that's perfectly fair. Nobody does. Yeah. Generally in, in sports radio, I think we want, we try not to be personal, right? Any attack that you make on a player is about their play rather than their personality. 
And I think this one becomes different because it wasn't about Kyle's play. Yeah. Right. It was more of a personal issue between him and a not just good friend, but arguably my best friend. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I handled it poorly. I brought it up at a time where it didn't need to be brought up and I brought it up without context. So you put all those things together. It's sort of a stupid thing to say. And, you know, I think there are some people that that were excited to take it out of context and run with it and not provide the rest of the story. And that's okay. They, They can do that as well. So did I blow it? Yeah. Do I wish I could take it back? Yes, absolutely. Um, but do I think that it's important that I love Kyle Seeger? No, I, I don't think so either. So, you know, I, I can drop it. It's certainly not a, you know, there's no upside really in it. You know what I mean? The no, guy's no. gone. He's moved on and uh, probably the right time for me to move on as well. Understood. Appreciate your feedback on that. Thank you. So, um, go ahead. Yeah, let, let, let's move on to the Seahawks, I think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hate them too. Oh, no. Well, oh, yeah. Good, good, good. Then the, you're not alone. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, who's our quarterback starting week one of the regular season, not preseason? You don't yeah. Know. How about yes? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> just yes. Okay. It's Drew. I think they'd like for it to be Drew Locke, right? I mean, it's possible it's Geno Smith. I think they'd like for it to be Drew Locke. Is it possible they're playing a long game here on Baker Mayfield? Sure. It's possible, right, that they're just essentially playing a leverage game and trying to convince the, the Browns and the rest of the league that they don't really need him. No, we don't need him, but if you want to cut him, I, mean, I guess we'll take him. I mean, like. Well, we're going to suck anyway, so, yeah. I mean, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think if you put Baker onto this roster – you're at least a 500 team in a down NFC, right? I don't know if you're a 500 team with Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Uh, I think Baker's a better quarterback than those guys are. I know he was hurt last year, but I mean, this guy was drafted one, one. I mean, that that's generally not an accident. And he brought a lousy Browns franchise to the post, you know, to the postseason. So, you know, I, I think that there's, I think there's a little bit more in Baker Mayfield, but I also get it. If they don't want to move down that road, if they're saying, look, we don't need our franchise quarterback yet, right? We can go through a year. Look, we always say this. The only, you got to have a franchise quarterback, right? That's live or die in the NFL. It's the league, yeah. But mm-hmm. the worst the worse than not having one is having the wrong one. Yeah. Because if you're committed to somebody that isn't really the guy and you pay them and treat them like the guy, you're screwed for yeah. a while, for, for years. It's setting your franchise back. So I think they know that. And I, I thought they did a great job the last time. It kind of feels similar to the way they handled it in you know the early days of pete and john where they brought in a lot of options they tried to win without emphasizing the quarterback position until they actually got their guy and then you know things change a little bit yeah i like the idea of baker because it's a one-year deal and if he doesn't work out then he walks and we move on and we draft a guy it's kind of a you know no no loss situation. We, we see what he has. And like you said, he was a first round pick and he went to Cleveland, the, the land where quarterbacks die. Right. So, <laughs> you know, and he, and he actually succeeded. So maybe there's a lot there, you know? Yeah. And they may not want to go down that road. You know, he, he may have a bit of a, let's call it a polarizing He's, personality. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know him personally. And, and maybe coming off of Russ, maybe they just want a year of kind of, you know, tamp down the tensions, make everything kind of, you know, uh, tranquility, you know, camp tranquility this, this August, maybe that's the goal. 
Serenity um, now. Yeah, and I would understand that. I mean, Drew Locke, by all accounts, is really well-liked. Like Anybody who's been around this guy seems to love him. I don't know whether they all say he should be a franchise quarterback, but everybody seems to really like the guy. Yeah. And that and that may be important for a year, you know, post-Russ. And, and do people dislike Russ? Well, I don't think his new teammates did. I think that there were some of his older teammates that I still don't know that I'd use the word dislike, but they certainly had their issues with him. And, and you know, that kind of filtered out. That's one of the challenges, you know, to sort of just to bring it back to me for a moment. It's one of the uh, <laughs> it's one of the challenges of our job in, in sports radio is utilizing the information that we have from behind the scenes in such a way as to as to bring it to light without necessarily saying it out loud or specifically all the time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot, Brock and I would talk about this together all the time. We're just privy to a lot of information behind the scenes that can't be made public, yeah. but absolutely, you know, or else you burn your sources, you burn the people that are willing to talk to you and give you that information, but is very relevant in shaping our opinions on things. And, you know, without that knowledge, do we sometimes come off as, you know, having opinions that are strange or not popular or against public opinion? Yeah, because sometimes people's public image that they present, especially in sports, is carefully crafted and not exactly the same as as the way they are viewed behind the scenes. And so it's a real it's a challenge in doing this job, especially now with all of the all of the guys like you out there, to be honest with you, with all of the podcasts and people on social media who have, you know, opinions and followers and get a and and really can change the way uh issues are are seen and heard by fan bases podcasts like yours have an enormous amount of power and influence and i say that with great respect and reverence i love the stuff that you guys do and all the and 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 lots of the other podcasts and, and and shows like this um but when sometimes there can be some tension between sort of the traditional media and new media, just to use kind of broad strokes on it, where some of us in traditional media are, have a little bit more behind the scenes access. And sometimes the things we say because of it sound crazy to a lot of other folks, understandably, which is fine. Everyone gets their opinion. There are times where that becomes personal or, or, or the response is, well, Mike Salk hates such and such for no reason. And you're like, well, <laughs> okay, that's not exactly how this goes down. But all of a sudden we get some of this friction and I, I don't really know what to do about it. It's not, this isn't really a complaint. It's more just a sort of explanation of one of the challenges of doing traditional media is trying to work and balance your way through some of those things. It's a fair point. Yeah. I, I, as I like to tell Abraham, you're entitled to your opinion. Your opinion is wrong. <laughs> you're entitled to it. That, so. That's why you muted him today, though, right? Yeah, oh, so yeah. He wasn't able to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Keep his bad opinions off. The <laughs> uh, you brought up the R- R- Russell Wilson. Was that was it just time for a change? I mean, when they trade him, or was it egos, or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, again, yes, all of that and more. <laughs> <sighs> it, it, this is going to be honestly, Brian. You're asking the question that we won't have an answer to for years. Right. I mean, the next couple of years of sports radio conversation, a huge portion portion of it is going to be trying to answer that question. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. how how do we answer that? 
Why did Russell Wilson leave is one of the biggest questions in Seattle sports. It's right there with who is going to be the next franchise quarterback of the Seahawks. Right. I mean like those two and they're, and they're linked in some ways, but why is Russell Wilson not a Seahawk? It is, it is such a vast answer with right now, so many possibilities embedded in it that we're going to spend years trying to untangle it. Um, So you know, we could spend our next 15 minutes doing so, but I, you know, I don't know that I have a good answer for you today. Is it because Russell Wilson wanted to cook and Pete didn't want him to? Yes. Is it because Russell Wilson has an ego and he needs to throw more touchdown worth for more yards to get more MVP awards and MVP votes? Maybe sure. That could be a possibility. Is it because the Seahawks didn't want to spend huge money on a guy that they felt was in decline? Possibly. I mean, like all of, and and I could probably come up with 10 more. All of those are possible yeses. And it doesn't mean that there's just one answer. It might be two, three, five of these things combining. And, and, and by the way, you ask, is it a good thing? I don't know. Right. I mean, like, I kind of think it might be for the Seahawks long-term to get out of it. Right. And we're going to find out if Russ is able to, to continue to, if Russ goes 13 and four, with the Broncos and a, and a team built around his arm, probably going to look at Pete and John and be like, man, you guys blew this. Why didn't you build around this guy? Look what he's capable of. Yeah. And if he goes out and goes eight and nine or nine and eight, and they kind of miss the playoffs, or he goes 10 and seven and they miss the playoffs. You're going to go, yeah, they kind of did the right thing. Maybe it was time to move on. And, and if Russ runs for 850 yards, I'm going to say, geez, how come he was sandbagging it here the last couple of years? What the heck? <laughs> and if Russ runs for 250 yards, I'm going to say, geez, maybe those legs are going and he's not the he's not the dual threat quarterback that he was. And this is why the Seahawks kind of made their move. So, God, th- this thing could go. I mean, it, it, it you know, mind bogglingly number of directions. Uh, but that's part of the fun of doing sports radio here for the next Absolutely. Great responses. Uh, Seahawks had a great draft. Can you tell me one player that stands out to you? Uh, sure. Um, well, being down at, at rookie minicamp, the player that stood out to me most was Abe Lucas. Um, yeah. He just looks the part, man. He's big. He's athletic looking. He's physical looking. Like when you see him out there, you're like, oh, if you had just shown up and didn't know anything about football and just looked there, you would have said he was their number nine pick, not cross. And that's not to say anything negative about Charles Cross, who was also super athletic and kind of looked a lot like a non-limping Russell Okung to me, uh, just like body-wise. I mean, Russell's always dragging his poor ankle around. Yeah. But he, uh, he that's kind of what he reminded me of. Abe Lucas probably stood out the most to me in the, in the day that I was down there. Um, I'm, I'm super excited about Boy Mafe. To me, that's a boomer bust pick. He is either an absolute killer on the outside and nobody can touch him with the athleticism and speed or he's Aaron Curry. And unfortunately the, you know, just the reason for the lack of production is that he just doesn't have the instincts for it. So there's a little boomer bust, but you know where you take a boomer bust guy at number 40, right? Not at number three overall, which I think where Aaron Curry was. Um, That's kind of where you take a guy like that. And especially when you got two first or second round picks, you can afford it. So if he if he hits, he might be the best player in the draft class. If he misses, he might be the worst player in the draft class. And that's okay. I think that's exactly what they needed to do with a pick like that. I wish you hadn't said that name, Aaron Curry. 
You know what he's doing, right? You know he's a coach for the Seahawks now. Like, he's going to be coaching Boyamafe. (laughs) Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I would say this. (laughs) How many other coaches would you say were all pro players? Very few. So the fact that he didn't make it as a player doesn't mean he won't be a great coach. That's true. That's (laughs) absolutely true. Yeah. And he's been doing it now for a few years. I mean, he's kind of worked his way in from being an intern here to kind of moving up the coaching ladder. So I would assume he knows what he's doing. Definitely. (laughs) Uh, Moving on. Do you think the NBA will be returning to Seattle soon? We want our Sonics back. What do you mean by soon? Uh, Within the next couple of years, you think we'll get a franchise in Seattle? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think the answer to that is that it is the answer has nothing to do with Seattle if that makes sense. Okay. Seattle's next up. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And that's been true for a few years. The only issue there is when the NBA decides to either move a team or expand. Yeah. So expand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is not a Seattle question. Climate pledge arena is 100% ready for basketball and has been from the beginning. And anybody who told you at any point along the way that it wasn't going to be good for basketball don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. They're wrong and they've been wrong from the beginning. And they probably had some sort of an agenda, whether it was for Chris Hansen's arena or against key or whatever it was, they decided not to actually pay attention to what was happening in the building there. Tim Lywicki, Todd Lywicki, those are people that know the right people, know the commissioners, know the other owners. And David Bonderman is a minority owner with the Celtics right now and has been for a long time. That's how you get into the club. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that, that's how you get in. Take a look around the league. It it is around all leagues. It is very common for owners who didn't inherit their team or haven't been there forever to have been a minority owner somewhere else before moving into majority ownership. My own life, that was John Henry and Tom Werner, who now own the Red Sox. Tom Werner was with the Padres. John Henry was with the Marlins. And eventually they, they moved from minority owners into bigger stakes. It won't surprise me even a little bit if the NBA is, is already good with David Bonnerman. And that building was always built to accommodate three things, hockey, basketball, and concerts. And right now it's doing, well, it's doing the storm. So it's already doing all three, but expect, expect the NBA to be good to go there as soon as there's a team. But I can't predict to tell you when, whether that team is ready in a year or in 10, because I, it's just entirely up to the NBA right now. Fair enough. How about this, though? Here's my question. If they come back, so Russell Wilson's going to come back here week one, right? Yep. This year. If Let's say the Sonics return and there's a new NBA team. Do you want the Oklahoma City Thunder game one in the building? Hell yes. <laughs> yeah, and I want yes. them to take down their banner. Damn, well, yeah, absolutely. That too. <laughs> they, don't, they didn't earn that banner. We, we earned that banner. Yeah, it is one of those funny things how, you know, like in Houston, they're not the Oilers, right? They bring a new team and it's the Texans, but in Cleveland, it's the Browns. Like, it's really Mm -hmm. interesting how, you know, you get two very different views on, on how to bring a team back. I know everyone in Seattle seems to be hard set on if a team comes back, it's the Sonics. Is there any thought to having it be a different team? Like it's just a new Seattle. It's just the Sonics. Just the yes. Sonics, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how <laughs> it always works. has been and always will be. The Sonics. Right. Yeah. And I was never here. I, I moved here in 09. Sonics left in 08. So That's right. I, I was never in this town when it was a basketball town. I've never really experienced it. Did you, you grow up a, 
Did you grow up a Celtic fan? Just real quick. I grew up a Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins, and Lakers fan. Oh, wow. Lakers. It's I love Magic. Curve. I love okay. Worthy. All right. I love Showtime, man. Okay. I hated Larry Bird. I hated really? Kevin. I hate, I like, eight years, what was 86 was, I was eight. I was crying. I mean, like, bawling. When the Lakers beat the Celtics, or when the Celtics beat the Lakers, rather, in 86. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I, there's no good reason for it, other than I guess I was a little contrarian at some points then. But I I loved, the, like, I loved all the other Boston teams as a kid, but, man, did I hate the Celtics. <laughs> and I'd go to school wearing, like, purple and gold Converse weapons, purple and gold, like, Lakers socks, right, with the old striped socks that people used to wear yeah. up high. Yeah. I had like I never had the like Laker uh, satin jacket or anything, but I had a magic poster and a worthy poster up on my room. Like I loved the Lakers and I've given that up. I'm not, you know, I, I would say at this point, the only teams I really love and follow are the Seahawks and Mariners almost exclusively. Um, I kind of I don't watch the NBA much and haven't for a while, really sort of since the Shaq years was sort of the end of the NBA for me. Um and I watch a lot of hockey. And the Kraken, I guess, is now the third team. I root for them. But so there we, you go. I got my Kraken gear you. on. Yeah, we got to ask you about the Kraken. Do you think they had a successful uh, inaugural season off the ice, or do what kind of work do we have to go ahead? That's a good question. <laughs> well, it's I'm not, not mine. It's Abraham's. He just poked me to say it. <laughs> well, it's a good question. Did they have a successful season? Obviously, they didn't on the ice. I mean, that's easy. It, it depends on yeah what their goals were, I guess. I don't know. I, I know. Here's what I do. Know. I don't know how to answer your question. It's a really good one. You know, did they capture some new hockey fans? Hopefully. Is the, is the experience in the building phenomenal? Yes, definitively. Yeah. Um, did they start the process of trying to, you know, make inroads into a community that's never, not never, but hasn't experienced a lot of hockey? Yeah, I think they did. On the other hand, I think the TV ratings numbers will show you that, they didn't come anywhere close to their expectations and that they declined over the course of the year, especially after the COVID cancellations, they never rebounded from that. Um, and I've seen some of those numbers. I haven't seen them in a little while. So maybe something changed at the end of the year. I'm, I'm not an expert in ratings or anything like that, but you know, I've heard some stories of what they were hoping those numbers would be and what they ended up being. And it presents a very concerning picture. I think if you are in crack and management, um, and, and that may not be the be all end all for them. Right. I mean, regional sports networks like root might not be the, the, the way they measure it. Um, so I don't, I don't know what they might say, Hey, our digital numbers did X, Y, and Z, and we outperformed this, that, and the other, I'm not privy to any of that information. And I know that in radio, you know, increasingly we are looking at those metrics rather than what Nielsen tells us our ratings are because, you know, one is hard data that we can track and the other comes from essentially, you know, a very, very small sample size. And then you extrapolate from there. So you can decide, you know, which do you, I was going to say, which do you believe polls or elections, but you know what, that's probably a, a subject we'll stay away from in 2022. We'll just move yeah. on. But it's, it's that same idea of like, I, I don't know how they judge their level of success. If it's ratings, it's probably going to be a problem. If it's ticket sales, then I want to see what happens this off season. Cause I know two or three people who have already said, yeah, I'm not renewing on season tickets. It just, they weren't good enough. I didn't have enough fun, this, that, and the other, 
that might just be a couple of friends of mine, or that might be a big problem for them. We're just going to have to wait and see. So it's a good question that I just don't know the answer to yet. Okay. I really well, hope it went great though. You know what I mean? Like, again, I say oh, yeah. that with great hope. You want like, the best. Yeah. yeah. God, I'm so happy to have hockey here and something else from our standpoint, it didn't become a, a sports radio driving topic if, or topic yeah. driver, if that makes sense. So um, as much as I would love for it to be, again, I grew up in Boston, the Bruins to me, I didn't, I didn't know as a kid that hockey wasn't as popular nation nationally as other sports. Like to me, it was either football season, basketball season, hockey season, or baseball season. I didn't know that there was any sort of difference between them. I just loved all four sports and whatever was up. That's what we were watching. Well, it might change when, when we have a team worth watching, to be honest. <laughs> it, it may. And, and by the way, what you saw at the very end of the year um, from Veneers, oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. like he, he, he's a potential game changer. In my world, he, he's a lot like Patrice Bergeron, who I watched for a long time as a three-zone player who can you know, play defense and has great instincts. He was strong enough as a, what, 19-year-old. I mean, there's a lot to like there. Well, we're getting the, near the end of our show. Mike, we like to end it on a positive note, what we call shout outs. We give a shout out to a person, place or thing, whatever, just something positive. Um, I'm going to go ahead and sh- start out with my shout out. Mike Salk, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I, we've been fortunately last year to have several guests, including yourself. You're helping us on our journey to, you know. Who was our, better? Mike Salk was better. Well, who, was, <laughs> who else was good? I mean, like, you know. We've had a lot of amazing guests. Okay. You know, okay good. We really D- have. I'll, I'll, Dale Scott, former Major League Empire. Really enjoyed talking cool. to him. But you were great, and we appreciate you helping us on our journey. So thank you for that. And then I'm going to give a plug to our guest next week, Jeff Nelson, former Seattle Mariner, will be joining our podcast. Let's go with you, Matt. What's your shout-out? Uh, first, I'd like to thank Abraham for being quiet the whole show. That was wonderful. <laughs> uh, Good job, Abraham. Uh, thank you very much. Second of all, my real shout out is to my dad. He, uh, he had his birthday this week, turned 74, and he had a tumble and broke his ankle. And it's been a rough time, but he's on the path to recovery now. And, and I hope he feels better. And how about you, Mike? Jeez, I got so many people I could shout out. Um, I, you know, I, I will, I'll, I'll return the favor and, and shout you guys out. But, but even to go beyond it, you know, we were sort of talking earlier about the difference between traditional media new media and i think those phrases now are even 20 years old so they might not even be the right phrases but i i i have such respect for what you guys do and and the fact that you guys take the time to do this i'm assuming this isn't your full-time job and that you've got something else that pays the bills and to do this in your free time and and to to love the games and the sports and the conversation and all of that as much as you guys do I think it's phenomenal. And so uh, I like going on shows like this. I like doing it because I, you know, that's the core of why I got into this and decided to make it a, a full-time job. And uh, I think it's great. So thank you. I, I really appreciate the chance to come on and kind of talk through some of this stuff with you guys. Absolutely. Do you care to plug your show real quick in your Twitter handle or? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the show is six to 10, God, 6am super early, but if yeah. you're up then uh, six to 10 on, uh, on seven ten or on seattlesports.com streaming is, is probably the best way to catch it. And then, you know, we podcast every second of it later on Apple and Google and Spotify and everywhere else you can find a podcast. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So yeah, listen, that, that would be great. You can watch it. We're on video too. We have, Nice video thing. And then on Twitter at the Mike Saul. Tell you, I'd love to get off Twitter one day. That would be nice. 
what a cesspool. I'd love, to, <laughs> I'd love to be able to get off that thing and just be done. But, you know, as much as it drives me crazy sometimes, I guess it also leads to connections like this. And, you know, that's really what it should be for instead of some of the garbage it's often used for. Definitely. All right. Uh, thanks again, Mike, for joining us. We are the Shell Sports Union. You can catch us at salesportsunion.com on Facebook, on Twitter at Seattle Sports U. Yeah. And you can find our podcasts on iTunes and Captivate. And I'm going to do a everywhere. special show with Abraham <laughs> later. I feel bad that Abraham didn't get a chance to say anything. It's just going to be me and Abraham for like a four-hour epic long podcast. <laughs> All right. Looking, to that. looking forward to that. <laughs> Anyways, have a good night, everybody. Stay safe.